0: like as much as you could have a FKR rule set, I, don't, I think that misses the point because the point is the world you're playing. The point is that the genre, the, the, the tropes you've agreed on, plus trusting the guy or the gal who's just rolling or not rolling, doing whatever they're doing to say, yeah, that's what happens. That's, those are the two prongs. Trust the referee and each other and lean into the world. Um, and I think you can really do just about anything you want with that.
1: Hi, welcome to the Daiku podcast. I'm Gary Snow and with me is Jim Parkin, the designer of Weird North and Any Planet is Earth. And today we're going to talk about those products and FKR, uh, Free Creek Spill Revolution and first of all though we want to talk about jim and his journey to us today and how he got started in role-playing games so jim welcome good morning gary good to be here so as i talked about like how did you get into role-playing games in the first place how did how did you decide that you wanted to pursue this as a hobby
0: so i grew up in a board game family um we always had a huge shelf of board games uh and my brother's significantly older than I am. And so we inherited a lot of the uh, curious, older, like Hex Encounter war games that he played a lot. Um, and it was funny, Gary, because we we grew up playing constantly all sorts of stuff. We are, you know, like a new thing comes out in Germany and eventually it would be on my shelf or my cousin's top of his piano. Um, but we always looked at people who played role-playing games and thought those are the weird people. We don't do that. You know, that's, that's, that's a real nerd thing. Um, which is funny because especially as I've come into it in the last decade or so, I don't really understand any of the stigma that come with it. Um, there was no like satanic panic or anything in my family. I don't think that was even a question. It's more of just, we didn't do it. We, maybe we were just satisfied with what we were already doing. I recall when I was probably eight or nine, uh, I want to say that my friend got me to play West End game, star Wars D six. I don't think I realized that I was doing that at the time. just kind of afterwards i thought "Well, we had a fun time with that whatever it was and we rolled some dice was that a role-playing game i didn't know i had no context for it uh looking back now after running and playing a lot of west end games d6 uh it certainly was but it probably wasn't until 2015 2016 uh, we had kind of like a every other few months board game get together with my friends and their friends from college. Um, and one of the weeks, one of the guys, Jason, just said, Hey, do you want to try DD next time? I'm like, Yeah, why not? I had kind of grown out of being weirded out by that and realized it's popular and it's interesting. Um, and so we played a very simple intro module. Uh, I think it was probably like an Adventurers League thing for fifth edition. Uh, you know, tight and closed, kind of railroaded experience, but I got to like wrestle a guy to the ground and then kick him down a staircase. And I thought <laughs> that was a fun Um uh, Also, one of my favorite details, Gary, is that Jason, who was the the GM for the night, had a DM screen, but it was just like four CD jewel cases that were taped together with like stock art slid into them. And I thought that's so, so cute and delightful and immediately disarmed everybody who was like, what are we doing here? It's just like kind of rolled into it. Nobody was taking it too seriously. Uh, and that was a lot of fun. So I think from there, um, I played fifth edition, I played uh, more of like the modern fantasy flight Star Wars, uh, which is a lot of fun and has those funky dice before they became a little more streamlined. And um, did that for a few years. Uh, I think from there, there are probably a few points we could chart of like how I found different flavors. Uh, but that was my intro for sure, for like
1: two years of that. And were you the uh, GM at that time, or did you were you just one of the players, or where did, where did that progression go? Yeah,
0: for the most part, I was just a player. Um, I recall, so the same guy Jason was active on RPGGeek.com, uh, and there was a very active play-by-Forum community there. There still is, um, and he had said, "Hey, you know, if you want to do this again, I know we don't meet up all the time. Do you want to try this by post and just have a game there?" So. I got connected to a table there. And then because of how it's asynchronous and not really a big time commitment, it's like I got a part of like three or four tables and then uh, was doing it, you know, kind of check in once or twice a day, throw posts down on a few tables and like, oh, this is interesting. You know, a little more time to think about it. It was probably about a year into that, that he said, would you ever think of running a game? And I remember it was the, now kind of fabled Lost Mine of Phandelver, the, the classic 5e uh, starter adventure, which to be fair, especially looking at it again with different glasses on years later, that was a lot of fun and had a lot of good levers to pull, if, especially if you don't actually run it as it's meant to be, <laughs> make it a little more of a sandbox. Um, but I ran that table for like a year and a half. Uh, I mean, obviously time is very stretched out for that medium. So that's, that's how it happened. Um, But Then I really enjoyed it. And I I very quickly realized I like that way more than being a player. Uh, I was vastly more interested in all the NPCs and, you know, what does this faction think about this faction? What would be the realistic reaction that they'd have to the players doing X, Y, or Z? um and very quickly realized that i was becoming a player less often and being like hey if anybody wants to do this module i'll run it for you Uh, again kind of in that slower pace format but that also gave me a lot of confidence in just trying it and also trying a different game and seeing a lot of other different play by forum stuff that was going on i'm like i don't know what a story game is let's try one of those i don't i don't know what apocalypse world is let's try that that sounds fun um and had kind of like a low risk low stakes dip my fingers into a bunch of different bowls of water, you know? So that, uh, that quickly showed me different types of games. Um, and also like, wow, this, you can do a lot of different things with this. Um, it's probably around the time, like maybe 2017, 2018, that it dawned on me that there are a lot of competing ideologies or theories or philosophies of play. Um, and I was fascinated by how much people got flustered about, uh, you know, when their game is not necessarily as good as somebody else's game. And why do I even care that they have those opinions? Um, (laughs) but that helped me to like do more of a deep dive into blog posts for the first time. And then I, then it was just kind of like, you know, that the lid came off and all of a sudden there was just so many interesting things to look at, um, different styles of play to consider. And I just started weaving things together and seeing what was fun.
1: And then, so you went down the rabbit hole and, uh, I'm assuming uh, when you start talking about the different uh, philosophies on gameplay and uh, it wasn't long before you found OSR, which was probably up and coming if not already kind of fairly established yeah. at that time.
0: And, and a big part of that, Gary,
1: I, I didn't know what I wanted.
0: Um, and I think even when I found things that I now like very much, I still wasn't sure if that's exactly what fit for me. I know it's kind of the typical trope of like play mainstream things, you, you stumble on a thing. Oh, you didn't even know this existed. And then all of a sudden you're in, I don't know if it was quite, uh, so like hook, line and sinker for me there, but I recall after playing fifth edition and especially in like the adventurers league context, which is as formulaic as it gets. Now we did a lot of things that were more homebrew sandboxy things like, you know, your actions actually have consequences that aren't a box of text on the next page. Um, but it just kept dawning on I me. Mean, I remember distinctly that the time where I was like, I think I'm dissatisfied with what I had started with was I, I've always had like a pet love for Dwayne, the rock Johnson and wanted to emulate him in fiction and be, you know, just like this, uh, the, the ultimate heel, just insulting everybody until they're smashed into dust. And it's just m- multiple times. Where I'm like, All right, I'm going to pick this guy up and throw him with the other guy. You know, it's like, okay, well that's, uh, that's improvised unarmed damage, that's D4 die. And I'm like, does the guy fall over? I threw a guy at him and they're like, no, he doesn't because that's not how that like grappling rule works. And I just thought there has gotta be a better way to do this. Like, can anybody just kinda let it rip? And I mean, and I, I don't wanna disparage anybody whose very rules is written because that's a lot of fun for a ton of people. But I just got me thinking, I'm like, I used to play cops and robbers as a kid all the time, you know, or, or insert imaginative play and it's not like, you know, you always hear that as this cop out of like, whoa, whoa, they, you know, everyone's just going to argue about their right until everyone just gives up. I'm like, I don't know. Doesn't it doesn't make such a bankrupt childhood. Like, we we got along <laughs> as kids and actually had, like, okay, there are stakes to this, you know? Yeah. You can have legitimate consequences even as seven year olds and understand that, like, you know, there's causation. Um, so I remember I had first seen. And I'm not sure if it was on a blog post or something, but it was one of Dyson Logos maps, you know, uh, his awesome cartography. And so I went back to RPG geek, cause I'm like, he's probably on here somewhere. I've never heard of him there, but I looked up, sure enough, he had like a little account and it wasn't very active, he's doing stuff elsewhere, but his, his little profile tag was like, I usually like to play BX Dungeons and Dragons and Labyrinth Lord. And I'm like, I don't know what any of those words mean. Uh, and I think part of it too, Gary was thinking just not having a history personally, I'm like, oh, everybody plays modern d d So why, like nobody plays anything older because why would you? There's a new thing, that's the thing you do, um, which is maybe just a, a you know a poor conception of it. But so I looked up Labyrinth Lord and thought, well, that looks really cool. And I could kind of tell there's different assumptions at play here. Um, from there, I remember seeing uh, Matt Finch's primer on Old school gaming, I think it's called, like that Lulu print that he has, and then uh, the Principia Apocrypha, and read through those, and it just realized like, not oh wow, this is so different, but wow, there are different ways to consider this. You know, like I, I wasn't convinced, like screw this, I'm out, I'm doing something different, but uh, wrapping my mind around different ways of problem solving, and I realized at that point that that's actually what I liked about these games, problem solving, um, and. I wanted to find something that treated a situation fairly and realistically, I mean, obviously there's no such thing as, you know, elf games in real life. Fair enough, That's anyone making that argument is is like such a straw man. The point is, when I'm saying realistic, you know, like if we establish the stakes of what the world looks like, of what, you know, magic looks like, of, you know, do you have superhuman strength? Or are you just a dirt farmer? What is it? Um, then we should be able to trust each other. And I was thinking about this even back in like 2018, we should be able to trust each other to just let it ride, you know, um, back to like, you know, I wanted the rock to pick this guy up because he's big and strong, chuck him at another guy and see them both fall over. And it's like, that should be an advantageous situation for us now, right? If I was running that situation myself, it would be like, absolutely. You bowl that guy over, he falls on the table and they're flipped on their their bellies for, you know, Good twenty seconds as they're winded. What do you do next? Instead of mm, how do we apply like rigid codification? That that is an unacceptable scenario. Um, so I think it was at that point that I had gotten into more like power by the apocalypse stuff, and was pretty much immediately turned off by the I think very false claims that that genre tends to make about itself. Again, I'm not going to yuck anybody's yum, but everything there is about you know letting the fiction come out first and being you know let let the situation rise through this resolution that allows some narrative input and like narrative inputs fun that's great but it was ironically i think the the most rigid system i'd ever seen because they're like there's one way to do this otherwise you're betraying the genre you're trying to emulate and uh I'm like, I don't have time for that. (laughs) I still have a lot of those books, and I love them because they've got amazing flavor. That's one thing all those games do in spades. Uh, But I I rarely return to that concept or that approach. I just, I don't think it does what it says it does.
1: Yeah, and I've heard that, uh, you know, story from uh, multiple people through my interviews of, you know, some people just really enjoy it. And if you want that genre experience it's definitely going to deliver it but as far as the the randomness of life um you're kind of missing out on that because it's it's not railroading by any stretch and there's a lot of input as to what can happen but the conclusion that i've heard from multiple people now is that uh, the osr which is you know rulings not rules allows you to just go almost anywhere and uh Mm -hmm. And I know that a lot of people kind of appreciate that. And so one of the iconic games um, that has come out of the OSR movement is Into the Odd. Mm. And I know that you're a big fan of it and it's inspired you. Can you walk me through the first time you discovered that?
0: Yes. So I think that was like late 2018. Um, I was looking up kind of, you know, what are other ways that people, not hack apart or homebrew 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons, but like, has anybody come up with an interesting different system for just feeling out how combat works? Can, can we take the hour combat and make it like 10 minutes? Can we just speed it up a little bit? Because I, I love the game, I love the community, and a lot of the products are cool. I, I love the worlds that have come out of it, even if they end up being a little repeat after a while. But I think, that was where I found uh, Chris McDonald's blog, Bastionland, was he was talking about like speeding up d d combat. I mean, I think it was basically like the exact, I just typed in, in a search engine, accidentally the title of a blog post of his and found it. And then, you know, there's like, you know, this is what I was thinking of in into the odd, you know, link, I'm like, well, I'm gonna click that link, saw into the odd. And because again, like I looked at Labyrinth Lord and I went back and looked at basic expert D&D and they were, they were very cool and I like them and I played a lot and I've run a lot, um, even before Old School Essentials was really a thing. But it was still like, there's still too much junk getting in the way of what I think this should look like. Um, and I hadn't really looked into OD&D very much. Like I, I didn't really even know what Chainmail was at that point in terms of the origins, the hobby, what have you. So when I saw that Into the Odd was originally like into the ODD, like the, it was Chris's O D D hack, but then his his I mean it's just the way he phrased it. He's like, mm-hmm. you know what? This is a lot of fun. I'm just going to get rid of the things that aren't fun until only the things that are are left. And it also makes sense because we're trusting each other to you know like lean into the fiction. And again, I was like, I've tried to see that before and seen people say that they were doing that, but they're not really doing that. Um, and into the odd was uh, so cheap. It was like six bucks. I got it right away and went through it, I was charmed by how much it really did address the things that I was thinking about without doing it 150 pages later. Um, Chris is desperately concise in a way that uh, I admire, you know, they're, you're never gonna find a fourth bullet point. There are only ever gonna be three. Um, so I looked at that and then that was around the time I had found Discord, I think, might have been a little later than that, but I remember finding myself onto the Bastardland Discord channel. That was really my first interaction with caring much about that platform. And I mean, Gary, as a sidebar, I'm not a very cool person. I'm not. I'm not hooked up. I've got no social media. I couldn't care less about any of those platforms. I like living uh, in my quiet box with my children and my wife. Uh, I don't really go on the internet to, you know, emote. So I didn't know of any other things like this. I was used to like. RPG Geek, which is still a quaint like 23 year old HTML website, massive RPG database. I like it because it's old fashioned. Um, so Discord was like, oh, okay, this is, this seems very high pace, but that's where people were talking about this. You know, I had totally missed the G plus window. I didn't know that existed. I just, I was late um, and just saw like, well, there's a lot of vibrancy here. And then it was like the concept of hacking your game. I had never heard of that either. Even a few years into it um, and seeing like you don't need to do really that much to tweak it to just better accommodate this style or i don't like this rule so i'm just going to take it out or i like this added on top and you know this is all very new to me um and into the odd was then especially formative for understanding like how much can you shave away and still retain the chassis without it being like a punk statement, you know, like, look at how raw this is. Like, no, it's just trying to get the, the, the bare bones you need to do what you wanna do. Um, and, you know, again, return the emphasis onto the players engaging with whatever story you're telling, like it's real. And the like it's real bit is what always came through reading through Chris's blog and seeing, you know, like I want things to have realistic stakes um and do so without having to abstract a lot of things to make it possible so that was very formative uh to be sure and i played it a lot i ran it a lot um and it got me thinking of what what are other people who are interested in this game i wonder what they're doing and so that's where i again kind of returned to the blogs Thought more about like are, you know, is anybody talking about this? Are they, you know, adding new starting packages? Are they thinking about, you know, like what if you change the die or here's a list of arcana? And it uh that really broadened my horizon further to just, you know, the very DIY nature that is often praised about this general niche. Um, that's like, if you don't see something you like, just do it yourself. It's not hard. It's not gonna take you a month of publication like. You get eight hundred words in a blog. Your idea's there. Done. Moving on.
1: And so I know the, there's the eclectic bastion Jam, um, which was held. I think uh, Yohai Gal convinced uh, um, Chris to run that, and Weird North was one of the entries that you produced. And uh, th- th- when you saw the jam being announced, was that an immediate like, I'm doing this?
0: Yeah. So at that point I had been blogging myself. Um, and I think that started because I, I had then like Chris was still the moderator for the OSR discord. So I went over there and then saw, you know, like the slums of Glog and all of the different categories and conversations going on. It was way too much for me. I muted like 99% of that right off the bat. But, um, there was like the secret, I think it was the secret jackalope at the time. It's like their kind of secret Santa thing for holiday. You know, like I have a request for this, write me a short blog post. And I thought that's a, that's such a fun idea. That's when I started my blog was to facilitate that. Um, and so after a little while, I had been kind of tinkering with Into the Odd Stuff myself. And then, yeah, I was very excited for Electric Bastion Land. I was very quick to grab that, uh, loved all the advice in there. And then when that jam came around, I was like, I think I could do something for this, you know. I had already put any planet as Earth out from a different trajectory, but I still, my heart was there for the in the odd bigger picture. So, the one thing that I love, Gary, is sword and sorcery, and I think, I mean, if if I want to be pretentious about it, I think that's the true expression of like old school adventure game, because I think that's like the OSR often talks about like ruins and apocalypses and you know dark bargains and things that are gritty and gross. Uh, they don't have to be, but I think that that comes through anytime somebody tries to say like what is the aesthetic we're going for. It, it's not talking about like Dragonlance or Arthurian legend. It's talking about Fauffer and the Gray Mouser and Jack Vance and his idiot heroes just getting killed left and right, doing stupid things because they think they're they're better than they actually are. Um, and I looked around and I'm like, I don't think anybody's done like a sword and sorcery thing for Into the Odd or Electric Bastion Land. Uh, why don't I do that? Because I have, you know, have like a love letter for the picaresque adventurer where you're not really rooting for him, but you also want to see what he does next. Um, that's very much that pain. And so, and I thought again, to the earlier point, like you don't need a lot to differentiate something in a significant way. And I thought, what is the thing that Into the Odd does not capture that is I think very iconic in Sword and Sorcery. And it's that like chaotic corrupting magic. Um, And not just magic, but like anything sticking out of the ground can turn you into a darker version of yourself, Um, especially when you get into like weird technology and old civilizations and just stuff no one understands or like you get into that vein of, you know, bargains for power. And I mean, I know like Dungeon Crawl Classics is very famous for all their corruption stuff. But again, Dungeon Crawl Classics is very inspiring, but absolutely nothing I'll ever run or play because it's just way too much going on. Um, And I had gotten as a gift, I think the year before was the the second edition, also monolithic tome of Astonishing Swordsmen and Sorcerers of Hyperborea. Mm -hmm. And uh, what cracked me up? I mean, like my my son will pull that off the shelf. I think he was like four or five at the time, and he'd just like be amazed by all the pictures in there. Some of which he certainly should not have been looking at. But I, you know, <laughs> that's like one one in a hundred he's going to find that. But he loved it, and he was just like this. You know, this these stories tell or these pictures tell such a cool story. And I mean, I again, that's a huge crunchy book, but the stuff in there is so inspiring. It's like it is a love letter to that sword and sorcery. Uh, milieu. So I I was like, how can I basically just take that and turn it into what I want it to be? Because I'm already running this. I just haven't like put it to paper, right? Um, so I had various ideas for, you know, how would corruption work? How would that tie into like the simple scores of attributes you have for Into the Odd? Um, and I had worked with Yochai at that point and he wanted to be an editor for it. And that was like, great. I know you guys talked about that when you got together with him. Um, and uh we kind of tailored that and made it simple but still like extraordinarily impactful um being like even if you save against corruption your corruption score still goes up one like you've been touched no matter how hard you want it to not be touched and that's gonna hurt you later on so i've run weird north many times and i mean people often have the conversation of like can you have a rules like game that sustains a long campaign yes Absolutely, I've proven it many times from my own experience. I don't think Weird North qualifies because I have never run that long enough where anyone has not just like burned out like a dying star at some point. You know, I mean, (laughs) they all dig too deep which is exactly what I wanted to happen, right? You know, like most of that corrupting stuff is really good for you until all of a sudden it is absolutely not good for you. And you're, you know, things go sideways hard which I think captures especially a lot of like Jack Vance's stories um, a lot of, uh, you know, the original Conan of Samaria. Um, I, I was surprised pleasantly Gary, how well, I think I actually did nail the vibe I was going for just with this like random table and a few things on the side. So I was very happy with that. And it was so cool with that jam too, to just see all the different directions that people were going with the original chassis of into the odd and the modifications that came from electric bastion land. And, um, I'm pleased to, as Yochai had said, like making that Creative Commons allowed Cairn to dip its toe into the original rule idea without having to do a lot of licensing. And I know Chris was cool with that. It wasn't like we were trying to pull a fast one. Um, and that's been so fun to be a part of that group. And I'm running, I, I'm, I think I'm coming into like month 17 or 18 of a, a local Cairn campaign that I've been running in Dolmenwood, Gavin Norman's setting. Uh, with friends from church, and that's probably been the the peak role-playing experience I've had in all these years. It's just absolutely fantastic. And I mean, it's kind of ostensibly Karen. I tend to hand wave almost everything, but we, we, we say we run that, and it certainly is drawn from the inspiration of the game.
1: If we take a step back into like the creation of Weird North, you used a lot of um, Creative Commons images and... That yeah, kind of, all public domain. Yeah, public domain. And just like maybe uh, for those that are like thinking about, hey, I'd love to make a game, maybe take us through those steps of like, where did you find it? Like, how did you approach it? Yeah, so um, there were a few places I looked. One, uh,
0: I wanna say it's like Image Splash. Don't quote me on that. It's some something like that. I mean, there are many very easily gotten to public domain image repositories. One was old book illustrations, that's so good um and there's a surprising breadth of information and material there like you're gonna be typing in something you're like I don't know this might be too specific and bam they're like four things so you know, here's some uh woodblock prints from the 1600s that are exactly what you're looking for and I'm like well doggone it I'm gonna take all those uh, and and there are a lot of people even just in the kind of general community online that are like just spend so much time curating public domain art so I hit some of those people up um, Yochai himself has a great, huge Google folder that's just like a bottomless pit at this point. Um so yeah, old book illustrations., uh, there are a lot of uh, museums that will also curate image libraries that are all public domain, so especially when they get scans of artwork that they're displaying. Um, you know, so it'll be basically like a digital replication of the actual thing, not not the not even a replica of a replica. You can get museum quality prints in digital format. And those are great. So like, uh, I was thinking um Odell and Radon, I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but I used many of his prints throughout Weird North, especially as like backgrounds to the archetypes because they're dark and sinister and surreal. And yet there's a lot of light use and just kind of a great tension between average person in a bad context, probably doing bad things, but maybe for a good reason. It's like, it kind of got that feel. Um, <coughs> Pardon me. Uh, so, yeah, public domain art was so fun. Um, one of my all time favorite pieces ever painted is Il uh, The Order from the, I think it's Jerozian Cossacks, probably pronouncing and misremembering that incorrectly. But that's that great. I, I put that whole spread in as just two pages. No context. I just love that piece so much. You know, it's all these amazing, uh, surly, fascinatingly garbed man of, you know, kind of, it almost is like a cross-section of modernity with a lot of old, older eras. And they're just laughing, you know, probably just flipping off this uh, Russian oligarch who wants to come in early on and like conquer the Tatters or whatnot. And they're, they won't have any of it. So, Hillary Rippin is great. And he, most of his art, I think all of his art is public domain and
1: has been um, a wealth for my use. And you, uh, so if I, I kind of messed up the order there, but any planet is earth was actually your first <coughs> game. And can you, yeah. and for those that aren't uh, familiar with that one, it's kind of like a hard science fiction, like traveler esque, but uh, minimalist, uh, in the OSR FKR style. Um, so how did you approach that one? So, um, that
0: was my finding,
1: Pardon me. <clears throat> oh, you go ahead. And I know me and you have talked about it in the past. That uh, Mark Miller's Traveler is a big influence, and it's kind of having a bit of a renaissance right now. That uh, I've seen lots of people trying to dissect it and the importance of it as it fits in with the greater um, work body of work as far as old school games go. And I yeah. know um, part of that and what Chris. Maybe unintentionally, but intentionally brought with it with his failed careers was that you can really get the flavor of your character through the character creation process. And that just gives you so much to work with in the OSR environment.
0: Yeah. I mean, we love random tables, right? That tends to be, even if it's a caricature for some, it, it goes, you know, hand in glove in terms of how we're, you know, kind of. Iterating realistic or related or you know, kind of oracular results to make things happen in this, this vein of gaming. And I remember, um, so I think it was in 2019, my uncle, uh, who's now passed away, but he was very excited because he found out that I was getting into role-playing games. He's like, oh man, I used to play all the time. And so, just out of on a whim, like he stopped over my parents' house one day while I was visiting, and dropped off this grocery bag that was filled of like his original AD&D Dungeon Master's Guide and tons of modules and like this big binder with just his notes from his games. And there were a lot of references in there to, to Traveler, which I I had at that point still not really heard of. Now, Gary, I love sword and sorcery. I like fantasy. I mean, that's obviously the glut of what most of these games tend to be, but I really have a sweet spot for science fiction. And like Robert Heinlein, Isaac Asimov, more actually speculative science fiction that at least attempts to take itself seriously enough to be reasonable. Um, Obviously there's always going to be some far-flung thing. Um, Less so than giant ridiculous space opera, which is certainly fun. But my, I, I read a ton of that sort of science fiction in high school, especially my brother loved it. He gave me all his old novels. And so when I found Classic Traveler on a, like scribbled on a note in a book from my uncle's AD&D character sheet repository of all places, I looked it up and I was aware that Traveler had lots of additions. And to me from an, as an outsider, I'm like, I mean, I, I, played late editions of things, I'm probably not gonna be interested in, in that. And I looked at it and was like, yeah, there's really cool stuff here, but it's so bloated. It's just outrageous amount of text and and stuff. So I went back to the classical traveler and was just bowled over by it. I think that was probably like the last the last piece in my game evolution, uh, or at least I've been m- much more stable in my preferences since finding that. So the, the thing that got me with mark miller did is you know he was kind of saying the same thing like even back in the late 70s early 80s oh man everybody's doing fantasy you know uh which is funny when we think about that like that's just always been the de facto genre so he did classic traveler and i thought the fusion of two things is what really kind of blew my mind in terms of usefulness and just getting to the heart of it One is that simple, like reactionary dice throw, 2d6 against target number, and that's it. That's the only thing, like. And then also leveraging random tables in a way that are not just silly, they are extremely potent. um, And by design meant to actually generate the adventure you're going to play. And that's what I thought was interesting, because I mean, even way back when, there were lots of like solid modules for, D and D right off the bat and adjacent games where it's like, this is a self-contained thing you can do start to finish. And I mean, Traveller has a lot of modules, but almost all of them are, uh, here's a crew list. Here's a sector. Um, here are like some planets and here's some patrons. And it's just kind of like, there you go. They already, like, the, the expectation is that you are on the fly, populating this stuff and just, going from point a to point b to point c and so you don't want to go to any more points um, and it was fascinating to me now i am not so comfortable that i am literally just you know dice vomiting out an adventure over four hours in an evening um but it just i think how brazen it was was what was so remarkable to me you know like already he's like nah we're not going to do it the way those people do we're going <laughs> to totally flip the concept on its head um, and, and I've watched a lot of interviews with Mark. I, I'd love to actually meet the guy. I know um, it was just remarkable, um, and he's always just so simplistic about it. You know, he he was never trying to make a point. He's just like, I don't just I don't I don't see the bother with all this convoluted stuff. Uh, that one I think it was a Gary Con interview where he only talks about it for a few minutes, but he was talking about Traveler Eight, where it was called that because of his eight-year-old grandson that he was playing with. Um, and he was like, you know, this kid understands role-playing games better than most of the adults I've ever played with, and I will say I have definitely felt that with my own son, who's almost seven, uh, and he he gets it. I mean, that kid is a die-hard adventurer and, like, fully appreciates that he has responsibilities within this world, um, and so backing up back to Classic Traveler, uh, that Led me so the only the only thing I didn't really like about Traveler was that that target throw is like against all this dice modifier and you still had to take a minute and stop and be like okay you've got a plus one over here and like because of the distance maybe that's a minus two and then you've got a skill but it's level three skill so it's you know and again it's kind of like that matrix of decisions that crunch down to an end I'm like I I mean you're all it's only ever going to be like a spread of five maybe I just don't care enough to do that. Um, so i was thinking about um basically how, how did into the odd hit od and d how would that hit classic traveler kind of the same mentality um and so i boiled that down basic to like your target numbers are seven if you have an advantage of any kind and nine if you don't and that's it and these are reactionary you're not willing to do stuff you know already at that point that was like early 2020 um I was of the opinion, Gary, which I think I've further cemented as of this year, really like if if we're playing in a setting and playing the world more than we're playing rules, then if this makes sense in the context, which is not necessarily just me saying it does or it doesn't, maybe I would ask, but if it makes sense, it's just going to happen. Uh, I'm more interested in how something happens than if it does or not. I think resolution is actually kind of like one of those weird sacred cows. Like, can't we just decide if it works or not? Like, let's use our brains here. Um, So I made that reactionary only. So even still a little break from Traveler, but using the same idea kind of backwards. And, uh, you know, Traveler had those life path tables that are just so good. Mm-hmm. I that. some of the most fun character creation yeah. ever, because I mean, it, it is a mini game of its sort, but I'm like, I, I have caught myself, especially when I was refining the process for Any Planet is Earth, um, I wouldn't call it play testing because it was just like me in my kitchen late at night rolling dice with myself. But I mean, I just kept doing it. I'm like, what's this guy going to be like? Who's this person? You know, oh, man, what happened? Like, why do they have three careers in, in like a mercantile ship and then become a Marine? That's so interesting. You know, yeah. why, why were they betrayed by the NPC that was their friend that I already generated five minutes ago? Uh, it just is it, so evocative. So I, I realized just like classic traveler has so much to offer uh, in those kernels of precise design. Um, and all of them are are to tap your imagination. None of them are to facilitate ease of play, they're to facilitate your imagination. And I think when I read that and kind of figured that out, that's when I thought five years ago, this is what I was always looking for. This is what I care about. I no one's ever articulated it in a way that I could figure out. But it's like realistic stakes play the world be imaginative um and that's around when i had met uh norbert matauch and um wizard lizard was another discord user and the two of them made that original fkr discord server and that was that that had a great heyday and a lot of wealth information and i had written any planet is earth with that as a backdrop of the designers and the the people who were you know talking about having never really stopped playing that way and coming to it afresh and being like oh, what a burden off my back i finally figured it out what i like so i wrote that um and it was it was such a freshman attempt i mean i never designed anything the layout i was like oh maze rags looks cool but i is so cramped it looks terrible um but it's useful and i still keep it with me all the time when i run anything science fiction because i also was like what random tables do I want that I can't find anywhere else? I'm just going to put all of them into this document. Um, and I then repeated that with Weird North when I realized I want to roll these specific things and I come up with it on the side, but I never put anywhere. So I'm going to put those here. Um, and people even recently have asked they're like, hey, what random tables do you keep with you and I reference my own works? And they're like, really? I'm like, well, that's kind of why I wrote them in the first place was <laughs> I'm going to have these notes on my side. I might as well put them into something. Um, but yeah, I, I, really got into like more of a diceless play in any planet is earth, uh, where even though there are reactionary roles, there's not for combat. It's totally like you have to theater of the mind of the whole thing, which I know is freaky for some people. Like if they need resolution anywhere, it's that. And again, I kind of asked the question, do you, uh, I don't think you do now. I still do, but I will also, I mean, even in this Karen campaign that I'm running, There are a lot of things of like, nah, he's dead. I mean, there's no way you survive this. Or, you know, hey, I don't know what to roll. I'm gonna, you know, knock the stilt underneath this platform they're on. I'm like, I don't think you have to roll anything there. You just do it. Again, if it makes sense, let it happen. Um, If it doesn't, then let's talk about it. And maybe we should resolve it somehow, you know, outside of our hands. Um, But all that came down to, you know, really kind of refining down to those ideas and I think it's a misnomer. And I hear it a lot of FKR stuff This ultra light gaming. Well, that's not a game. You're just pretend storytelling with each other. In fact, I had a great criticism that was meant as a criticism to me, um, That is now the header of my blog because I took it as a badge of honor. And uh, one guy who I had talked with elsewhere, also the love of classic traveler but like clearly for every different reason that i like it um would always get so upset when i'm like you just need to like just get a few dice you know like go be in a spaceship uh what is your spaceship like just you know kind of like trust each other lean into it mm-hmm. and he had said like the original poster has a long history of considering randomless group storytelling to be a game which you know it says like mike drop this guy sucks <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh man, that's so good. I'm gonna put that on my blog. That's exactly what I'm I'm all about. Um, because again, I mean, as an aside, we get defensive over the things that we like. And I mean, that does it's not just in this hobby, it's any anything. So if I come in and say, I've been running an 18-month campaign and we haven't rolled dice in seven months, and look at all these things that we've done, and it's like super realistic, and we have all these integral factions and people, you know, had a milk run dropping off some cattle from Japan and like another planet over here. I'm like, well, that's not a game. That's not what I do. That sounds silly. And I don't want to be silly. Um, I guess it's just, you know, it's the way people are. So,
1: um, And this that, might be a good, this might be a good time to actually define for those that aren't aware of what FKR stands for, just to kind of give some context to it. Yeah. Like, like all of the far too
0: many acronyms that we juggle. Uh It's free spiel. Either Renaissance or Revolution or re- Recovery or I don't care, who the knows? I I frankly couldn't care less scary. Um, the the point is is that I want to say it was Mike Monard uh, was it was an ODD poster back on like the original ODD web forum that's still out there that like you can't even get into with a new account because it's so locked down. He, he had made the point of like, people talk about the OSR, you know, like we're gonna bring this back. And he's like, where'd you guys go? I never left, uh, which, you know, great. I mean, I certainly am not even old enough to make that claim in the slightest, but he was talking not necessarily in, you know, kind of an asinine condescending way, but saying uh, there is a way that people have just been kind of going for it never went away. they just, people were iterating in the meantime and doing their cool things. And that became more popular and then became more of the common consensus of how things done. But uh, the like 10 second history lesson is, uh, you had Kriegspiel, which was like this war game simulator for actual military preparation hundreds of years ago in Prussia. They realized there were so many rules to affect terrain and, and distance and everything. You know, it was basically like war game as we would consider it today, just professionally, that they had free Krieg spiel. So it's like, let's get an umpire in here who's just experienced can make a judgment call. We're not gonna stop and check all these charts. Uh, Like we trust that we're doing this exercise in good faith together. So if he makes a call, that's good. We're just gonna roll with it. Um, And the, I think another misconception that comes from that because I said expertise, but I'm talking about like, this guy's a military professional. He has to actually know what he's talking about. We as players just having fun with games, it's like, you know, this, it it ties into the like play the world, not the rules thing, which is often parroted and misunderstood as many times as I've said it. The whole point is if we have a common touchstone on something and that could be something much more complex like, Hey, we're going to play this, uh, you know like eclipse phase transhumanist future that has a lot going on and you need to know what's going on. But it could also be, um, you know, you are the the dungeon crawl classics, dirt farmer. Everything outside of your village is dangerous, and if you get hit by a rock, you're dead. If we up, if that's the basic, then like, if you understand it, you understand it. I understand it. Um, we can rely on like the tropes and the touch points and the flavor that is common to all of us to be. The backdrop at which we adjudicate stuff, and I, I mean, a lot of the the Free Creeksville revival stuff, there is a strong emphasis on referee authority being like trumping everything else. And I would agree with that in the sense that, like in my games, I am the final arbiter of what happens. There's no shared narrative. We're not rolling dice to maybe something goes sideways. Um, and I know some people get freaked out with that. It's like every RPG horror story ever is. You know, I had this adversarial GM who just, no matter what I did, was punishing me. And like, that's that's a person problem. I am totally convinced. Like, you should just not be playing at that table. If somebody is a jerk, don't play with them. You know, again, that's the good faith element, which is something that in other points of the internet where I've been explaining this to less receptive audiences, they tend to be like, you know, I've never had a good experience. And I'm like, I'm very sorry for that. Frankly, and I'm not, you know, dismissing it, but the point is not that we um have like this iron fist of adjudication i i look at the shared authority as the world that we're playing as in like i'm making a ruling based on what we've agreed is the foundation for everything we're doing so like as much as you could have a fkr rule set i don't i think that misses the point because the point is the world you're playing the point is that the genre, the, the, the tropes you've agreed on, plus trusting the guy or the gal who's just rolling or not rolling, doing whatever they're doing to say, yeah, that's what happens. That's, those are the two prongs. Trust the referee and each other and lean into the world. Um, and I think you can really do just about anything you want with that. Um, I've mentioned many times that know expertise is very helpful like if you are really excellent at sincere wilderness survival like you go backpacking and hunting and trapping then man think about the depth you could get in that but you don't have to be you could be a person who's just gone camping once or knows somebody who went camping or i've looked outside and seen a tree before i have context you know you can kind of scale it as much as you want um so i think there are a lot of misconceptions mainly because it's hard to trust people and maybe like I am, I have the benefit of having local friends who I can play with who we all know we're doing this in good faith or like I still do a lot of play by forum stuff and that it's like you almost don't have time to be a jerk most of the time because the pacing is slow enough that there's always like a, a deep breath before the next step.
1: Yeah.
0: So I, I get it if it's harder in that vein and you can't rely on people. But I think that's also something you can learn and something that I have learned even in, in my circles um, and, and playing with a lot of, uh, you know like local find a group sort of deals. It, it has less to do with like, I you know, I put my whole life into your hands, Gary. It's like, can, can you and I agree what a castle looks like? You know, if I jump into lava, do I die or am I a superhero? Let's start there, and whatever we agree on, just kind of keep riffing, and that's that's the crux of it.
1: And then I know, uh, so I'm gonna read to you uh, something. I think it was in uh, Weird North, but I could be wrong. It might have been in Any Planet Is Earth, but anyways, it's attributed to you. Uh, play the world. What makes sense is in the context. What does the setting imply and then the second one is be consistent actions have consequences logic grounds, experience and expectation and the third one which you were starting to get into but i want you to flesh it out a little bit more is ingenuity not ability leveraging tools wit and the environment overrides numbers and i know um that's kind of a, an osr mentality fkr mentality and i know when uh, some people that push back against this kind of style of play are like well no i want to make a perception check like my character and their attributes or their scores or their skills like that's what's important and when people are put into the position of no you your problem solving as the player is actually what's important it's kind of a different mindset and a shift that it some is, people can't and I, yeah and I, I think
0: that is again going back to like Mike Monard saying, I never stopped playing this way. And ultimately it's just like, as you know, as a quick aside, I remember reading something that Mark Miller talked about because when classic traveler started, which in its essence is this style of game, 100%, you know, just like we decide what's going to work. We then just keep on trucking. He got a lot of letters early on of like, Hey, Mark, um, What do you think? Like, what, what, what's the damage on this laser pistol? Do you think? And he would write back and be like, I don't know. What do you think it is? (laughs) (laughs) And he would get more and more of these as the game became more popular. And is like, I guess I should just write down, you know, an answer for people, and then people will stop asking this question. But then they just ask some other questions, you know, like, oh, what, you know, if, how much? What's what's the mass ratio of this freighter? So he's like, okay, so I'll write a little thing about it. And eventually it's kind of like, you end up accidentally codifying these things that are meant to be more elastic at your table. But I think part of that is like, when that was rewarded, then the next generation of people who then buy a book that says all these things are like, okay, things are this way, it has to be. Um, And I think that just kind of spirals until the popular conception is like, I can do these things that I'm told I'm allowed to do. I cannot do these things. Um, and I think one of the great victories of that return to like the proto OSR, what, what has kind of come through it and, and what it is today is like, yes, you are an app, av- like your character is an avatar and doing things, but you're also a person at the table. You know, it's not like this perfect simulationist uh, exercise. So I look at that as a nice fusion of like, you are both your character and yourself. You have two, two modes of impact here. Usually the distinction is so blurred, it doesn't matter. And that's not like an escapist point. That's just something like if you realize I, I got these tools, I have this. I also remember, like, oh, in a movie once, there's this cool thing that they did. Maybe I'll try that here. You know, it's like put those two together, do it. So I do think that, and this is something that even though Weird North uh, is a full game, and it is based on another full game, those principles that I wrote there are kind of like my unwitting manifesto of here's how I think my favorite games are played. If these player principles and these referee principles are put together, and they're just, you know, humming along. So that kind of ingenuity, like, yeah, you you are a person with wit, like you, a lateral solution does not come because you have the lateral solution ability. It's because you're a thinking human being with experience that can be leveraged somehow um combine that with like all right so i know i know enough about this stupid dirt farmer that i'm playing he's got a pot of glue and a crowbar and a lantern like how can i leverage those things against you know we're in an abandoned quarry so i know there's like a lot of scaffolding probably it's pretty weak uh, maybe it's really dry and very flammable um could i break my lantern over here and like set this thing on fire these are the things where it's the player and the character they're fused they're one thing and i will tell you gary as much pushback as i've seen of that concept of like no you know like i am the character sheet i like this this cairn game i've come back to that has been such a highlight i've got people who are very tenured role players and they've played everything under the sun you got people who are coming primarily out of like very mainstream fifth edition fantasy flight stuff. And that's all they play for the most part. And then I've got people who have never played a role playing game in their life. And all of them are on the same footing because they're all bringing, they, they realize that I am being sincere when I say, if you interact with the world, I will show you what happens. Um, so whether it's coming from more of a like mechanical context or coming from a, uh, I saw a cool movie once context or coming from just like, I don't really even know what a sorcerer, who I am would do here, but I'm just going to say something and they know I'm going to give them a sincere reactive response that is like tied to the fiction we're all sharing. So it really, it almost runs itself. There there are times when I run that game and I don't even say anything for an hour because they're just so invested in deliberating over what's going to happen next and thinking and like, okay, we've seen this happen before. What's going to happen next? It's a beautiful thing. I love it. And uh, again, I'll plug like my six-year-old gets it so can any adult that's there, there's a wholesome sincere exploration of imagination that takes place in these games and that's what i want to capitalize on
1: and that goes back to like when you're talking about you know your your children and it's that whole like okay we're going to play cops and robbers uh but bang bang i shot you and then the argument of no you didn't i was behind this right thing type of thing but when it's a trust and you go yeah you got me that's when Mm -hmm. that's when the game actually works is when there's trust at the table of or you know like hey here's what the
0: like the street looks like you know it's not just like we're in a vacuum firing guns at each other it's like oh there's a dumpster over here and it's like well i do behind the dumpster like all of a sudden that's a new variable that actually makes sense because you've established that that's what you expect so yeah
1: and Here's one question I have, and I don't know if you've seen it solved, but, or like if there's an easy answer to it, there probably is an easy answer to it. But when, okay, so a lot of my audience is game designers. And so you want to design in the FK, FKR um, world. And so the, the common kind of trope is that Harry Potter. So we have a Harry Potter book, and let's just play we have 2d6 and we just roll. And that's, Mm -hmm. and and in essence, you really can play in the Harry Potter world. Everybody has a common understanding of it and we understand bits and pieces of it. And there's a mutual trust in that can be done, but as a game designer. So how does that fit in as far as you have to convey the world um, to the players, the GM and that kind of thing. And so if you have one page of rules, how much world building can you get away with? before it becomes, it's not a sandbox anymore. It's like, well, here's the cannon. And where do you draw that line? So I think it's never gonna be uh, the full cannon because I
0: agree with you. I think that kind of short circuits the end result that the point of uh, having to say like, no, here's how the only way it can be. And it is more of the world than the rules. One example I'll give though quickly is the other the other game that I've released, It's it's not published anywhere because I don't want Disney to nuke me from orbit, but it's galaxy far away, which is my like star Wars treatment. And that is, that is the most bare bones of anything I've done. And that I'm like, how do I convey how this works? And so it's like, you're going to create your character. You decide whatever you are, you know, I don't care if you've never seen star Wars, you've only heard of it, or you've, you know, all of it, like pick a person, you're that person. You could be a droid if you wanted to. Great. Um, if you're not a droid, Maybe you're force sensitive, roll a die to find out. And then it's like you have a, you know, a starting loadout of very basic stuff, but it's all Star Wars stuff. It's all, you know, kind of like set piece props that you would imagine in that universe. And, and I include for the sake of somebody wanting to run this themselves, a few random tables of like, what's a job that these people would have? and you know put the star wars flavor in there like oh you have a run in with a cartel okay roll in the cartel and it's like the actual syndicates from the films or you know a, a bad guy that's referenced in one of the comics stuff that cannot be not star wars it is star wars um but still letting that kind of be emergent uh so it's like i you know i'm passing the baton of like here's just enough you need to know um i mean i i played ran this with with a group of people and one of them sincerely, despite my belief, was just in pop culture vacuum here, had never seen anything from Star Wars. I'm like, I just don't know how that ever happened. Fair enough. (laughs) But it's like, but I know, I know what it is. I'm like, yeah, that guy's just as invested as the other players who, you know, the one who's like obnoxiously repeating this expanded universe novel that he wrote that was terrible and was rejected as fan fiction because it was so bad, but, (laughs) you know, it's like, you don't need much. I think you really just need a simple anchor, and everyone can hold on, and you go from there. It's not difficult, and it's not aimless, stupid, no consequences, cops and robbers. We are we are setting the tone. It's a five-minute conversation. Here's what this looks like. Here's how you play. Here's how dangerous the world is. Um, you know, if uh, people are interesting, they're not just meat bags to be shot down with a blaster. If you do that over time, you're going to get arrested because that's just common sense. So fuse that common sense with what we know, what we're doing, and here's maybe a simple way to resolve issues if we get into them, and then go for it.
1: Well, and that probably brings us to uh, what's the next steps in your own game design um, evolution, and what are, you, what are you looking forward to uh, in the future? Um,
0: Something I really think mechanically is interesting uh, are like dice pools. I haven't done much with those and I just think it's fun. I mean, as much as I'm the, the, you know, a poster boy unwittingly of like this, do whatever you want or do nothing approach. I do like mechanics. I do like rules. I really love procedures. I just usually those are backported to just my business and I'm not making us waste time at the table to have it happen. Uh, I think dice pools are really cool. I've seen like Messerspiel is a great one that Oz did. That's kind of like Blades in the Dark reduced to just a handful of dice, which is great because Blades in the Dark is so cool, but that is one of the crunchiest, most overwrought books I've ever seen. And I don't understand how it ever builds itself as a breezy role-playing experience, fair enough. Um, I think like I've, Acknowledged in many places where there are too many games and not enough things to do with games generally. Um it's easier and safer, and I speak from my own experience, to like, hey, I like into the odd, let's make it barely different and call it something else. And now I've got my own game. And I'm a I'm a designer. I'm not being cynical, but it's like it's 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 our natural first stop because that tends to be easier than like, how do I actually make an interesting locale where people are real and doing things together? So like, I, I have been enjoying my blog riffing back on, like, here are things I'm doing with Weird North and Any Planet is Earth. I want to get a second edition of that sometime. The computer that I had all my design software died, and I was a dummy and didn't back anything up. So it's like, maybe that'll never happen. Maybe somebody will step in and help. I had one person who's already said, hey, I might be able to help you with that, which is great. Um, so, like, I'd like to polish these a little bit, but also like to just do stuff for them. Um you know, like there's a dearth of great science fiction adventures. Uh, Mothership is sweet. Yochai mentioned in his episode, like doesn't like the system at all. But it's like the coolest modules ever. I would agree. Um, but there are also only so many of those. And I'd also like to push, you know, I, I'm not necessarily writing like horror adventures in space. I would like to do something uh, maybe even more mundane, even though it doesn't sound exciting, but like to me, just being like space trucker is a cool idea. Or just going places and meeting people and, you know, like I said earlier, dropping off cattle because people still need beef in space. Um, so I like to do stuff like that. Um, I was thinking the other day of going back and uh, taking some of the like the big dungeons from World of Warcraft that I played way back when that were just so immersive and cool because nobody would ever done it before and have an outrageous amount of lore and missions and quests that I could really think actually would work better on a tabletop than it would as a computer game. Uh, I'd love to try and adapt that Uh, and I might do that, but you know, I got a full-time job and kids and going to seminary and I'm an elder and I was on the school board. Like I got, I don't have a lot of free time. Yeah. I mostly am just pittering out stuff when it makes sense to me. So I, I've never had grand plans for me as like a big name. And like I said, I don't have any social media. I couldn't care less if nothing I ever do gets promoted. But I like to do it, and I am happy that people are, are interested in it, and that it's made impacts and that it's developed good conversations. So I'm never going to ghost out on anybody. But you know, that's it, it isn't. It isn't this. Uh, it's not like a pseudo career for me, and I'm very content with that. I respect everybody who pumps out amazing stuff. But you're probably like not going to see me on Kickstarter, and that's okay with me.
1: Cool. and so people can find you on a classless classless cobalt, uh on itch and drive- through rpg and your blog is uh, d66 koboldsblogspotcom and we'll put That's all right. those links in the uh, description of the, right. the video but uh i just want to say you know you know thanks for sharing your own design journey uh your insights on uh, FKR in particular, and your games that you've kind of developed around those concepts. And I look forward to seeing what comes out in the future. Yeah, I appreciate it, Gary. It's a great conversation.